We seek to let the word of God reveal sin in our hearts and point us back to him. Um, that's, and we seek to do it to see that this sin, they are in fact deadly. Now all sin is deadly, but these in particular we look at, these sins do lead to death. And as we go to war, not to spoil too much of my sermon at the very beginning, but uh, we don't go to war by fighting just greed, right? We don't just identify greed and, and try to tackle that. Uh, we go to war, if you haven't picked up, and it's, it's in the title, it's in your cards, but we go to war with greed and all of these sins by seeking Christ. So in this particular one, we go to war with our greed by treasuring Christ. So we, we're not trying to keep our greed under control or in check, and if there's a little bit of greed, that's okay, but instead we, to use the language of our last sermon series in, in Colossians, we go to war to kill our sin and to put on Christ. Um, so in, in that sense, this, this title of the seven deadly sins is incredibly helpful because it reminds us that sin is killing us unless we kill it. Um, so we are talking about greed to today, but we are in week three of our series. We've talked about gluttony and sloth. Um, and I don't know about you, but the, the first two sermons have been rough. Um, and I don't mean on Pastor Sergey, right? He has, he has done a, a fantastic job of opening the word and, and showing it. I mean, it has been rough on me. As, as I examine my heart and my life in light of the word of God, in light of the deadliness of gluttony, and, and for me particularly, in light of the deadliness of sloth, I see the disconnect. I see the holiness of God, and I see my own life not measuring up, and I feel the weight of my sin. And as I talk to many of you, I know that you feel the weight of your sin as well. And we want to do this. We want to feel the weight of our sin. That's why we're going through this sermon series. But we don't want to just stay there. Sometimes we need to stay there and we need to feel the weight. Um, but, but more, my hope for today and, and our hope for this series is that um, rather than just being left in despair, that we would be left loving and worshiping Christ. Um, that's why we do both at the beginning of the service, both confession of sin and assurance of sin. Um, and that assurance is so important that if we have Christ, we have hope. That these sins that we are going to war with, they don't win. Christ has won the victory for us. And if we have Christ, we have life. We have Jesus. We have the greatest treasure that we have. So this morning, as we talk about greed, um, the first text, we're going to... Sometimes we, we dive in really deep to a particular text. This morning, we're going to go really wide into the, the breadth of Scripture. And greed in itself and, and the love of money is a really, really exhaustive topic. The Bible has a lot to say about money, a lot to say about greed and, and our hearts for it. So we're not going to hit everything. Some of you that have read the Bible, you're like, whew, good, we'll be out of here before lunch. Um, if we hit everything, we wouldn't be. Um, but we are going to start with our verse today, our verse that is on the card in Proverbs eleven twenty-eight, 28. Um, and let me tell you what I hope to do today in this sermon. So first we will define greed, or in your outline it just says treasuring money. So we will see how we treasure money and how we define greed. And again, um, spoiler, I think these are really handy. You have the definition in your card, on your card that was in your bulletin. Um, how we are defining greed, how I'm defining greed this morning. You have your scripture. Um, then we will turn to our defense, or in your outline in the bulletin, it's to treasure Christ. That's our defense, is treasuring Christ. It really is two simple words that is, is that short. And then finally, our, we'll look at our discipline or our application of this, which would be um, joyful, generous giving. So that's my hope Today to do that. So Proverbs eleven twenty eight. I'll read it for us. It's um, pretty short, and then we will jump in. Whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. Read that again. Proverbs eleven twenty eight. Whoever trusts in his riches will fall, 
but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. Um, so again, on this card, we define greed in three ways. The first is trusting in uh, our money. The second is loving of our money. And the third is to be ruled by our money or possessions. You can insert possessions in there where I didn't. Um, and here, out of Proverbs, we see the first one. We see what Proverbs has to say about greed, specifically trusting in our riches. Um, whoever trusts in his riches will fall. It will lead to death. So we see that greed will lead to death. Before we get into that, um, I want us to see something else that um, is, I think, really important. We'll see it throughout all of the scripture that we look at, but Proverbs does a good job of, in general, taking two ideas that are opposite of each other and putting them together. Um, so, whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. So, the first thing I notice out of this passage is not just that greed is trusting in our money, but that trusting in our money is opposed to or the opposite of righteousness or trusting in God. So, there's a direct contrast here in the proverb between someone who trusts in their money and someone who is righteous. The two are mutually exclusive. To say it another way, um, someone who is righteous won't trust in their money, and someone who trusts in their money can't be righteous. Um, and where they lead is, again, two very different places, right? The one who trusts in their money leads to destruction. The one who trusts in Christ, or as it says here, the righteous, um, will flourish, will treasure. What they do will prosper. And what we'll see here is um, because they have God, not because of their own righteousness, but uh, because God is with the righteous. So the two are mutually exclusive. So we'll get into our definition of greed. Um, greed as a deceptive sin, trusting in God. I don't know if you've noticed this, but no one thinks that they're greedy. Right? No one thinks that they're greedy. We all like to say that somebody else is greedy. We can all point to somebody else. Now, don't do it. Um, but we can all point to somebody else and say, that person, they're the real greedy ones. Me, I'm not so greedy, right? Uh, I try to keep, keep my greed in check a little bit. Um, in the world we live in, this is especially true, that we as as a nation, as a culture, more or less, we still say that greed is bad. If we just outright say, like, being greedy is not a good quality to have, we more or less agree on this. Um, but we do it in such a way where we can say, greed is bad, and then be greedy over here. Because if we say out loud that greed is bad, and then we act in this way, then we can still feel good about ourselves. Because greed is bad, and we shouldn't be greedy um, so we, I want to say we as well, we tend to think in this way. We tend to think that other people are greedy, not myself. So my encouragement to you today, and this would make my encouragement for any sermon, but particularly this one because I'm preaching it, don't think about other people as we talk about greed. Examine your own heart. Let the word of God pierce your soul. Let the word of God divide your heart and your motives. So one person that I read, David Matthias, he talks about greed in this way. He said, we may think of it in euphemisms or call it by pet names like consumerism or hoarding or extreme couponing or simply saving up for the future. But we feel its intense pull when contemplating giving a gift, when walking store aisles, flipping through a catalog, passing a billboard, watching ads online and on television, considering how much to tip the waitress. It's a nasty weed that has taken root not only out there, but in here, in our churches, in our own families, in our own hearts. We feel the pull of greed. We feel the desire to love money, to trust in money, to think that it will make us happy. So we see that there's a distinction between greedy 
and the righteous, uh, we see that hopefully we are looking at our own hearts and our own lives. And then we go back to the Proverbs and we see that it says that greed, at least part of greed, is trusting in money. And that that trusting in money will lead to falling. It's saying to trust in money isn't wise. Because money can't actually support you. Money can't actually save you. Your riches aren't worth trusting in. Now this is really, really hard for us to wrap our heads around. That money isn't trustworthy. That money doesn't save us. So here's, here's why it's hard for us to wrap our minds around. When you need food, what do you do? You go buy it. You go to the store and you buy it. Some of you are hunters and you're like, nah, uh But the rest of the time, you go buy your food, right? Um, how do we find shelter? With money. We rent or we buy a place to live. When you're sick, what do you do? You go to the doctor and you pay them to tell you what's wrong with you. And then sometimes you pay them to do surgery on them. Or you go to a, a pharmacist and you pay them to give you medicine that could save your life. Right? Money runs the world. It's just how the world works. So for us to wrap our heads around money not being able to save us, us not being able to trust in our money is really difficult. But for us as believers, we know that the world may indeed function with money. Um, and you would argue that functions by money through God's design. Um, but the one who really runs the world, the one who causes everything to function and to work is God himself. He upholds life in his hand. So even the basic thing of food, right? Food doesn't exist unless God causes it to exist, unless God causes rain to fall on crops, unless he causes animals to breed and to create more food, right? God controls even our most basic need. So we may interact with it through the use of money, but God himself is the one who controls these things. So we know as believers, the world may run on money, may function with money, but we can't actually trust it. Um, instead, we have to trust the one that really runs it. And I can think of many circumstances that money doesn't actually help you. Money doesn't actually save you. There's nothing that money can do. And in fact, I want to look at a passage in scripture that really shows us this, this thing very clearly, how the trust of money um, leads to death and how it doesn't actually save us. It's not trustworthy. So this is in Luke 12, 13 through 21. Jesus is telling us the parable of the rich fool. Just as a side note, I love the name of that parable, the rich fool. Um, so it says this, starting in Verse 13, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? He said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. He told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, here's, here's where I think it really zeroes in on his heart. I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, Drink and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasures for himself and is not rich towards God. Here, Jesus is very clearly warning us against trusting in money. The, the rich fool tells himself, I can trust my money. Whatever comes my way, I have enough to deal with it. Whatever emergency comes, whatever um, crisis comes in my life, whoever I have to take care of, I can. 
And I know that I can because I have it all stored here in my bigger barns that I built. So I can relax. I can trust. I can be merry. I can be happy. And God says, you can't control a thing. Tonight, your soul is required of you. All the money in the world, hear me on this. This is, this is hard. All the money in the world can't add a single second to your life. Because the one who holds life in his hands is God, not our money. And the same is true vice versa, right? Not having money doesn't take away a second of your life because money is not the God of life. Money can't save you. Money can't deliver you. Money isn't to be trusted. God alone holds the power of salvation. God alone holds the power of life and death. Now, I would say that this parable is actually a really, really common occurrence with us. Many of us do the exact same thing as the rich fool. We trust in our bank accounts, in our possessions. We store up for ourselves a savings so we don't have to worry. Right? We use terms to, to make ourselves feel better, like having an emergency fund, or um, saving up for a rainy day, or saving for retirement. But in our hearts, often, we are just like this rich fool who is trusting not in God, but in our own means, and our own resources, in our own money. We say, God won't provide for us, so I will provide for myself with my money. Now, I want to be clear here. It's not the action of saving money that's inherently evil. Um, in fact, we see in Proverbs that it's important to save. It's important to manage our money wisely. It's important to be good stewards of what God has given us. This is why it's such a hard thing to distinguish. It's where our trust is. That is evil. Are we trusting in our money to save us? Are we trusting in our emergency fund for that rainy day? Or is our trust in God? Is our trust in the one who can really save us? We have to look closely at our lives and our hearts and see if we are greedy. Now, this, I would argue, uh, has to be done in prayer. We have to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to us our sin, to reveal to us our greed, to reveal to us our trust in our money. And I would also argue, and this is where it gets even more uncomfortable, and I'll push on this a little bit more, that it has to be done in community. That we ask those around us who know us and love us and know and love Jesus, do you see greed in my life? Am I trusting in God or am I trusting in my money? How I spend it, how I save it, is this just a symptom of my greed, or am I trusting in God? These are difficult things to discern, um, but we have the Holy Spirit, and we have other believers who have the Holy Spirit to help us discern that. Now, trusting in money is only one part of our definition. Um, so let's look at the second part, uh, greed as the love of money. So here, we'll look at 1 Timothy Chapter 6, verses 6 through 11. And we'll see what the Apostle Paul has to say about greed. 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 11. Starting in verse 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. 
So here we see a lot of things in this passage, and we're, again, we're not going to dive super deep into it. Um, we're looking at it more broadly. Um, so we see that here Paul is, again, he's contrasting contentment with love of money, contentment with greed, um, godliness with greed. And here he says that it's not just a trust in our money, but it's a desire for it. It's a love for it. He says in verse 9, those who desire to be rich fall into temptation. In verse 10, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. So here we get um, into what draws us to money. Our affections, our desires, uh, not so much the application of it, but, but how our hearts are longing for money or longing for um, the contrast of that would be God. So we look now, and, and, and Paul is saying, not only do we think that money will keep us safe and secure, but we think that money will make us happy. We think that um, money will lead, give us the power to buy whatever we want, and we can buy whatever we want, we can be happy. Right? And like, there's all kinds of saying about this, and, and we hear the saying, like, money can't buy happiness, and then people retort that. They're like, yeah, but it's way more fun to be miserable in a Lamborghini, right, be than it is to be miserable in a, a broken-down car. Um, but the, the <laughs> not the amen um, that I was looking for. We see here um, that our love of money, in fact, leads us to despair, leads us to destruction, leads us to ruin. And, and here it says, from this love, some even have wandered away from the faith. This can, our love of money, again, is, is contrasted very, very clearly with the love of God. Um, so I want to look at two quick examples from the scriptures to show us um, how the love of money is dangerous and how it leads specifically to other sins. As it said in verse 10, that it, the root of all kinds of evils, and it leads us to other sins. So first, we'll look at uh, Achan in Joshua chapter 7. You don't need to turn there necessarily. I'll just paraphrase it. Um, but I want you to know where it comes from. This is the story of Achan in Joshua chapter 7. The Israelites had just um, come off from defeating Jericho. So big, huge victory, or if I say it more accurately, the Israelites have just come off of God defeating Jericho. Right? So they marched around and God topples the walls of Jericho and they win this incredible victory. And God tells them, don't take the spoils of war. Leave that for me. Well, Achan just can't resist. He looks and he sees a beautiful coat. Something to be desired, something he longs for, something his heart wants. So he takes it. So in this sense, his love of money and his love of possessions leads Achan to theft. And in this particular case, theft directly from God. Which theft in general is not a good idea. Theft directly from God is an even worse idea. And we see that this theft, this love of money that leads to theft, leads to incredible destruction. It leads to the whole nation of Israel losing a battle. Achan's sin not only affects himself, but it affects his community. And then in the end, that same community then stones him. Leads to his own destruction. His love of money his greed that leads to theft leads to his destruction and the detriment of those around him. Next, we can look at uh, Elisha's servant, Gehazi, which, by the way, I had to listen to to have an even idea how to say it. Gehazi. This is found in 2 Kings 5.15. Again, you don't need to, to turn there, uh, but here is the story. So a rich man, Naaman, had just come to Elisha to be healed. He had leprosy, and he was told by his servant, go here and you can be healed. And, and Naaman in general doesn't understand grace and doesn't understand God and how he works. And, and so he resists being healed for a while, but finally he um, does, and he does what Elisha tells him to do, and he is healed of his leprosy. But because he doesn't understand grace and he doesn't understand how God works, he offers to pay Elisha. He says, here, can I, I would like to pay you for my healing because I'm rich, I'm powerful, and that's how the world works, right? You pay for things that you get. I want to pay for you. And Elisha, because he knows God and he knows how grace works, he, of course, refuses. And says, no, this is a free gift from God to you. You can't pay for it. You can't pay for grace. Now, 
Elisha's servant, Gehazi, saw an opportunity. His love of money and his greed for things. He sees an opportunity, goes and he takes it. So he runs after uh, Naaman, catches up with him, and, and comes up with a lie. And he tells Naaman, he says, hey Naaman, Elisha just suddenly got some guests. And so now we need that gift that you were going to give us. We need that payment that you were going to give us so that we can care for these guests. So he comes up with an excuse, a reason for Elisha's change in mind. He lies to Naaman, and, and Naaman happily agrees, right? He wanted to pay for it in the first place. And now there's a need that he can provide, so he happily gives the money to Gehazi. And Gehazi um, is probably pretty happy with himself, right? His greed led to him getting his treasure, the thing that he wanted, this, this money he got. Now when he gets back to Elisha, Elisha being a prophet of God, of course, knows what has happened. And he says, my heart was saddened. I was sorrowful when I heard these words from your mouth asking for this money. And so Elisha then transfers the leprosy that Naaman had to Gehazi. His greed leads him to this lifelong debilitating and deadly disease of leprosy. His greed first led him to lying, which is another sin, and then eventually leads him to destruction. Now I want us to um, look at how this plays out in our lives. We too love money, and it leads us to other sins. It's very easy for us to think that something will make us happy. So then we take it. It's very easy to, as we peruse the store, to think, oh man, if I had that, that would be the best thing in the world. I would be so happy if we're on Amazon buying maybe something we need and an ad pops up. And if I'm honest, my heart is drawn towards that. To unwisely spending my money on something that I don't need because I think that it will make me happy. We see something shiny or new and we think I have to have it. I have to have the newest, I have to have the best because then I'll be happy. My old slow phone isn't good enough. I need the new fast phone with the best camera. Then I will be happy. Now we don't always steal it like, like Naaman and Achan did. Many times we just impulse buy it. See it, have a desire for it, buy it. It's very easy with one-click purchase on Amazon. Um, we buy whatever will make us happy. Or we pursue money because with then we can have the money to buy whatever makes us happy. Um, or to think of it another way, how sin can lead us to other things. Um, in, in negotiating a price of something, in dealing in business, it's very, very easy for us to conveniently leave out important information because it helps us get a better price. To um, miscommunicate, intentionally um, show something in a different light than we really know, right? You're selling a car and you just don't mention that it hasn't had an oil change ever, <laughs> right? Instead, you're like, look at this car. It runs great. Take it out for a drive. Knowing full well in a couple of months, it's probably going to fall apart. Um, or um, again, and we, we do this all in, in the name of frugality, in the name of, of getting the best deal. It's very easy. The temptation for us to, to lie about something, the temptation for us to um, misconstrue how something really is to get a good deal, then we call it good business, right? We tell ourselves it's okay. We're just being um, good business people. It's very easy for us to pursue righteous riches, but Paul tells us instead pursue righteousness. To run after righteousness, to run after godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness, and to sum it up, to run after Christ as hard as or harder than a greedy person runs after money. Instead of the love of money, we have the love of God. We pursue those things. So in this idea of loving money, I want to go even further. So I want to go to Hebrews 13, 5. Just one simple verse. It says, Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Here's where we get to the heart of contentment. Here's where we get to the heart of fighting our greed. 
We can't be content, right? I'm not asking for contentment. I'm not asking for you to just muster up and be okay with your situation. Maybe your situation is really bad. I don't know. Maybe your situation is really great. The point is, it's not about your situation. God here says, you can be content because I am with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. You can trust me. Be content with what you have. You pursue me as hard as the greedy pursues riches. Pursue me. So now I want to turn um, to our last part of the definition of greed. Uh, Yes, we're still in point one, but I think the other two will go faster. Um, To be ruled by greed. And here we go to Matthew 6, 19 through 24. This is Jesus speaking. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? And, and if that other part wasn't heavy enough for you, verse 24, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You can't do it. Jesus himself is saying it's impossible to serve God and money. You will love one and hate the other. So we see here the incredible danger in greed. As our hearts are drawn towards money, they are in fact drawn away from God. We can't serve them both. And and I know in this passage there's a lot of overlap here. Uh, Jesus is, is talking about a lot in greed, but so I want to focus on being ruled um, and money. So he has this harsh wake-up call here that we must kill our greed or it will lead to despising God, to walking away from God. And here's our, our last example of greed. Uh, the rich young ruler found later on in the book of Matthew 19, 16 through 21. Says this, and behold, a man came up to him saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these have I kept. What still do I lack? Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasures in heaven and come follow me. Sobering verse 22. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. So here, we see a tragic example of greed playing itself out. We see a man who, from all other um, viewpoints, was a good man, right? He was wealthy, he cared for other people, he kept the law the best that he was able to. Uh, But Jesus sees into the soul of this man and sees where his treasure really is, where his heart really is. This man is ruled by his money. Jesus asked him, give up your money and follow me. And he simply can't. He can't do it. Instead, he walks away from the author of life. He walks away from the one who gives and creates riches because his heart is tied so tightly to his money and possessions. He is ruled over over it. He is ruled by it. And he walks away sad. He walks away from the kingdom of God. He walks away from life. This is a very clear and tragic example of being unable to serve two masters. Being unable to serve God and money. 
And I think this leads us to one of our most helpful tools in discerning greed in our life. How do we respond when we are asked to give up what we have? How, are we, how do we respond when we are asked to give up our money or our possessions? Do we hold on to them for dear life? Are we unwilling to give to others who need it? Or do we begrudgingly and painfully give? Right? So even that, I would say, could be an act of faith, um, painfully giving what you have, but it also shows where greed has its, its teeth in us. Right? If it is painful for us to give, if we begrudgingly give, that is a good sign that there is greed in our hearts and there is greed in our lives. If it is difficult for us to give up for the kingdom of God, what God has already given for us, this is a good sign of greed in our lives. And again, um, this is hard for us because we think that we are giving up the thing that runs the world. But in fact, we aren't. If we have our treasure in the one who really runs the world, then we will be able to freely give. We will able, be able to trust in God fully. So let's move on to our second point, treasuring Christ or our defense of greed. I want us to look at two parables that I think really, really clearly um, display this idea of the treasure that Christ is, the treasure that kingdom of God is. So this is two very um, well-known parables, I think, Matthew 13, 44 through 46. The kingdom of God is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. I think these parables are pretty straightforward. Why in the world would a man go and sell everything that he has to buy a field that has a treasure? The only reason you do that is because the treasure is worth more than everything you have. The only reason you sell everything you have to buy a pearl, especially as a merchant, is because that pearl is worth more than everything you have. When we know what our treasure is, we pursue that. This is very clearly saying that Jesus is the treasure. The kingdom of God is the treasure. It is worth more than everything else. It is worth giving up all of our money. It is worth giving up all of our possessions. Because we're not actually giving anything up. Right? This is the, the important part of these parables. The, the man that sells everything that he has doesn't lose. He gains. Because the treasure is worth more than he has. So if we give up to get Christ, we don't lose. We gain. We gain everything. Now, Jesus is the treasure that we have, but why is Jesus the greatest treasure? Well, I'm glad you asked. Um, in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, it says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And Philippians 2, 5, and 8 say, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with a thing to be grasped, count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Here we see Jesus gives up everything that he has for the sake of those he loves, for the sake of those he calls to himself. He leaves the riches of heaven. He becomes poor. He leaves the security and safety of heaven. He becomes a needy human being, a baby that is dependent entirely on other people of taking care of him and grows in, growing up as fully human, having to eat, having to sleep, having to um, do everything that humans do, a dependent being. God gives this up for the sake of bringing people to himself. Gives this up for the sake of setting us free from our greed, from setting us free from our sin that keeps us away from Christ. So 
if you've tracked with me, you've seen that our greed leads away from God. There's no other way around it, right? From Proverbs saying there is greedy and there is righteous and the two don't go together. And Jesus saying there is a man that loves money and there is a man that loves God and the two don't go together. And I think the, the clearest example, one that I didn't give, but is, is Judas, who for money betrays God himself, gives him up for crucifixion. The two don't go hand in hand, but God knows this. Christ knows this, and he knows that we are greedy people. But he doesn't leave us in our greed. Instead, he comes down, he makes himself poor. He shows us this is the opposite of greed. I will give myself generously to you. I will give myself freely to you. All that I have, all that I am, I give so that you can have me. So that you can have life. So that you can have life abundant. Greed is replacing God with money and possessions. Instead of trusting God, we trust our money. Instead of loving God um, and pursuing him for our joy and happiness, we love money and think that it will make us happy. We serve Money, which is a grueling leader, a grueling master that leads to death, instead of serving Christ, who his burden is easy and his yoke is light. But the death and resurrection of Jesus frees us from that. Having Jesus as your treasure frees us from the greed, frees us from the love of money. He provides joy instead of despair. He provides life instead of death. Not only does he offer forgiveness of sin, he gives a new heart and a new freedom from sin. He gives us himself, the author of joy, the maker of happiness. And he likes to give his children good gifts. He likes to lavish richly on his children things. Here is where I want to say to all of you and to me, treasure Jesus. If you don't know Jesus, if he isn't your treasure, repent from your sins and turn to him. He is offering himself, believe in his death and resurrection on your behalf. Hear him calling you to himself. Then you too can be free from sin, you can be free from greed, but, but more than that, you are free to know and love the God of the universe. You are free to have life. So this freedom brings me to our last point, our discipline, our joyful, generous giving. It is only if Christ is our treasure, then we can be content. Only if Christ is our treasure can we give freely, can we give joyfully. You aren't content when you don't have what you want, right? If you don't have your treasure, you don't, you're not content. You are striving for it. But if you have your treasure, then you are content. You can be free to enjoy the things you have. You can be free to enjoy the money that God has given you when it's not your treasure. When God is your treasure, money doesn't rule you. You don't trust in it. It doesn't make you happy because you have a ruler. You have a savior. You have a lover. You have Jesus. You are free to give. Now I want to say our, our giving must be two things. Our giving must be joyful and it must be generous. So our first, our giving must be joyful. Again, I would say this is a good um, litmus test for greed in our lives. If our giving isn't joyful, that's probably a good sign that there is greed in our lives. Maybe you give to those in need and maybe you give to spread the gospel, but you do it begrudgingly because you know you're supposed to. That's a good sign that there's greed in your life. When Jesus is our treasure, we joyfully give our money and possessions for the spread of his kingdom, for the spread of the gospel. Do you joyfully give? Are you happy to give to others? Are you happy to give to the church? Do you happily support missionaries in the spread of the gospel? Do you happily give to the poor and to the needy? And then is your giving generous? We see the pattern in the New Testament is to give generously and sacrificially, right? So we talk often in church about, about tithes and offerings, and, and tithing of 10% is a good place to start, um, but it's just a general rule. The, the command would be to give generously and give sacrificially. And we see this most clearly in God himself, who gave generously and sacrificially of himself for us. 
He gives all of himself, and he does it at great cost to himself. And this is why I think the principle is generous and, and um, sacrificial rather than the 10%, because we all have different levels of income. We have different levels of wealth. Um, what may be generous for one person is not generous for another, right? If you have a, a huge amount of money, maybe giving what to somebody else feels very generous to them is, is not really anything to you. You barely noticed that you gave it, right? Like you found a quarter in the couch and you said, yeah, here, have a quarter. Instead, give generously, give sacrificially. Um, think to yourself, will this affect me? In my giving this, does it change how I have to live? Does it change what I have to do? Does it Im impact me at all? Is it sacrificial? Is it um, generous? There's no one-size-fits-all. 10% might be right for you, um, but it might not be enough, right? We may need to give more. Instead, we just ask these questions. So I want to challenge and encourage you to look at your spending, to look at your money, look at your giving, and ask yourself, is it joyful is it generous? Ask those around you who know you and love you. And again, I know that this is a big no-no, right? We don't talk about money. We don't talk about how much I have in the bank account that's very personal, that's very private. I'm asking you to do just that. I'm asking you to, with people who know and love you, who know and love Jesus, look closely at your money and see where does it say your heart is? Where is your giving? Are you generous? Are you begrudging? Do you joyfully give? So again, David Matthias, he has some really helpful questions that I want us to ask ourselves and those close to us. He says, or he asks, is my spending marked by Christian generosity? What does the use of my money say about what makes me happy? Am I collecting for this life? Is my spending explicitly supporting the spread of the gospel and the needs of the church? Or is my spending so cautious that it keeps me from loving those close to me well? And I would add to that last one, is my spending so cautious that it keeps me from giving to those who are in need? That it keeps me from giving to those who are poor, whether you know them well or not? We should be regularly giving. And when we do this, we are saying to God, you are my treasure. We actively say to money, you don't rule me. You don't own me. I will give you away joyfully and generously. You should be giving to your local church so that the gospel of Jesus can be preached and the work of God can be done. If you are a member or a regular attender here at Chatham, you should be giving joyfully and generously. So here's where, if you notice, if you look in, in your bulletin, our giving this year is not meeting our budget. So I would ask me, and I would ask you, consider, are you giving joyfully? Are you giving generously? If you don't come here, if you're a visitor, um, we're not asking you to give here. I'm not asking you to give here. I'm asking you to give to your local church. Are you giving to missions so that the, the gospel can be spread overseas, that the work of God can be done elsewhere where um, there aren't local churches or where the local churches need more help? When you see a need, do you give to it? Or even more than that, do you look for needs to give to? Right? These are difficult things for us to, um, to deal with, difficult things for us to talk about and, and be honest with ourselves? Do we give to the poor? One of the ways that God has designed the world to work is for the church to care for the poor, for the people of God to care for those who need. We see it very clearly in the Old Testament principle of, of gleaning, of leaving extra in the field, right? We as the church are to care for the poor. Do we generously and joyfully give to those who need? Now, now, finally, I want to I end with this. Let our giving point to the giver of good gifts. Let our generosity point to the one who generously gave his own son. Let our generosity point to Christ who generously gave of his own life. Let our sacrificial living and giving point to the sacrifice of Jesus. Let our giving to the poor point to the gospel. 
Here we have a way of declaring the glory of God with our money. We have a way of of treasuring Christ with our money directly. We have a way of spreading the gospel um, with our giving. So now we will come to the table, and as we do come to the table, let's examine our lives and our hearts. This is a great time for confession. Maybe you feel the weight of your sin and you feel the greed, and maybe you're really struggling with your sin. Come to the table and see the forgiveness of God for your greed. Come to the table and see the forgiveness of God lavished upon you. Or maybe you aren't really feeling your sin. Maybe in these sermons you thought, not me, that's somebody else that struggles with that. Come to the table and see that it took nothing less than the death and resurrection of God himself to save you. I want you to come, and if you are struggling, I want you to feel the love and assurance of God. And and if you don't feel your sin, I want you to come and feel your sin and then feel the love and assurance of God as we come to the table and we remember Christ's sacrifice on our behalf. If you are not a believer, I ask you not to come to the table. Instead, come to Jesus. Take him as your treasure. Take him as your savior. Believe in his death and resurrection on your behalf. So as we come, communion will come as we normally do. You can come up front and you can take up here, or if you need more time to think and meditate, you can take it back to your seats. If you are in the balconies, there is communion up there for you, so you can just um, come where you are. If you are unable to come, um, there will be an elder who will be bringing communion to you, so you can just raise your hand and, and we will make sure that we get that to you because we want everyone to be able to commune with Christ in this way. So let me pray, and then we will take. God, I thank you that you are loving. I thank you that you um, gave of yourself sacrificially for us. That you didn't stay greedy, you didn't keep your riches to yourself, but you lavished them upon us. Lord, I pray that today, as we consider our hearts, as we consider greed in our life, that we would repent of our sin, that we would treasure you instead of money. Lord, I pray that you would reveal to us where there is sin in our lives. Those of us that need conviction, I pray that your spirit would give it. Those of us that need assurance and comfort, I pray that your spirit would give it. Lord, we confess that we don't love you as we should, but we desire to love you more than we love other things. Lord, as we come, help us to remember your love for us, your death and resurrection on our behalf. I ask all these things in Jesus' name, amen. You can come and take.